Well, we have been looking over the last several weeks at um, something that we've been working at over the last three years here at Spring Creek, our, our vision and naming what that is and, and what direction we believe God is calling us to move as a congregation. There's different people that talk about knowing your why, why you do something. Um, and, and if you're firm about why you're doing something, that makes what you're going through and the challenges, the obstacles that you face, um, there, there's purpose in them if we, if we know our why. So part of knowing our why is because Jesus is Lord and we are recognizing our personal need for Jesus and our world's need for Jesus as Redeemer and Teacher and Lord. And so, you know, our biggest why in the church is because Jesus is Lord. And that's something that we affirm and it's something that we teach, it's something that we hope for. And so we are also trying to uh, grow and to share, sharing the, the love of Jesus, sharing the news of Jesus' lordship, and we're, we're serving. That's something we're striving to do in the, in the pattern of Jesus. Jesus comes and, and he serves all kinds of different people in, in different ways. Uh, for us, it's Spring Creek Church of the Brethren, you know, the um, quintessential example of that is Jesus stooping to wash his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. We recognize that we are connected to a, a Trinitarian God, to a Father, Son, and Spirit because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Son. That's something that we, we stated. What we read as our affirmation of faith this morning is, is part of um, some work that we've done together in naming who we are. If you're curious about more of what that statement says or you want to reread that statement, uh, you can check out downstairs in our gathering area. It's also on, on our website. And you can read a little bit more about how we're trying to put that into action. But that's what we've been kind of working through over the last several weeks. We've been working on our why and naming who we are. And we've also been naming a few of the primary initiatives, the primary focal points, some things that we think we need to work on and focus on as a congregation in our life as we kind of orient towards Jesus and as we strive to live that out. Because a, a catchy vision or a mission statement can look nice, it, it might look good on a website or on a bulletin or newsletter, but it needs to prompt us to lived action or faithfulness or obedience. Those are Faithfulness and obedience, two words that, that Scripture uses, that, that we are supposed to enact the things that we believe. And so a couple of those that we've named in the last couple of weeks, trying to utilize the facility and being good stewards of this resource and our other resources around here, uh, some of our technological resources as well. Trying to better use digital media and technology to announce the kingdom, but also to equip the saints. That's a, a way of saying helping one another learn and grow and meet in, in Bible studies and, and those kinds of things. And we've uh, used, utilized technology in some of that. <clears throat> we've talked about our need to focus on building relationships with our community. 
as well as our need to focus on building relationships again within the Spring, Spring Creek Church of the Brethren family. As, as we've kind of spent time separated from one another, we need to reconnect. This morning we're... Oh. <laughs> and, Hello? I still have battery, but this mic is not working. All right, we'll use this one. This morning we're going to look at the last of our initiatives that we've named, and this is kind of the broadest one, um, and it is to seek the healing of the community around us by listening to the hurts and looking for the Spirit's movement. We recognize that in the kingdom of heaven, everything will finally be made right, that everything will finally be the way that God intends. But we also recognize that right now, not everything is that way. Uh, Dave mentioned in his prayer several places that are very obvious to turn on the news and see places where there is is violence and and loss of life and all kinds of uh, tragic things happening uh, that are associated with that. And so we recognize that not everything is right in the world around us. Not everything is right even in our own community, even maybe in our own families, even, you know, let the truth be told, we're not a perfect group of people here at Spring Creek. And so we are, we are striving and working and growing and seeking healing in these places. Here and now, not everything is the way that it should be. But if we are to demonstrate what the kingdom will be like, if we are to catch little glimpses of the kingdom, then we can be listening and following the Spirit in shaping the world to have more, uh, two Bible words, righteousness and justice. They are connected. They go together. The way things are meant to be in our world. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Babylon, uh, and that's in Jeremiah 29. I've preached on it before. I will do it again, but not this morning. I thought, well, there's other places where uh, scripture's talking about the ways that we connect with people, the ways that we listen, the ways that we are uh, seeking the healing and the peace and the prosperity, which is what uh, Jeremiah's letter says. There's other places in Scripture where this comes up. And so I want to look this morning at how Jesus shows us what it looks like to to listen and assess the needs of the people he's ministering to and to announce or demonstrate the kingdom in different ways and in different contexts. So there's, there's different people that Jesus is interacting with in these stories. And each of their needs is a little different. Yes, it's to know Jesus. Ultimately, that's, the, you know, their deepest need. But there's other things, there's other needs, there's other issues that Jesus is addressing, and he's doing it in different ways. And so I want to take a look at that this morning. And as we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, our reading of Scripture, our uh, just soaking in it this morning, might be pleasing to you. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we had two stories that were a part of our scripture. We have the first story where uh, the friends bring the, the paralytic man. They destroy the home uh, by opening up the roof and lowering him in. And Jesus heals him. I'm just going to stop there. Jesus heals him. There's a couple different ways that Jesus heals him. And then, of course, there's the interaction with the the scribes that that follows. Both of these stories have interaction with scribes or Pharisees that result uh, from Jesus' actions. The second part of the story is Jesus calling Levi, who was a a tax collector, and Jesus goes to a meal at Levi's house and eats with other tax collectors and sinners. And any time that I'm using the word sinners this morning, just I won't keep doing the air quotes, but this is the term that is used for folks that have something a miss in their life, brokenness. And it's basically, it's a term used a lot by the scribes and the Pharisees to talk about people who aren't as holy and righteous as they are, who haven't followed all of the little laws that have been added. They are the sinners, okay? So there's two parts of this story. Let me just start by asking what surprises you most in these stories? Some of us have heard these stories over and over again. What surprises you? The absolute determination of the friends of the paralyzed man. Yeah, there's different uh, cultural things about what exactly the roof would have been like, but there's, it doesn't matter what the roof is made out of. There's some effort to cut a hole, dig a hole, whatever. Um, I think that's before the time of skylights, so somebody's going to have to get up there and patch that thing. Hi. Not only their determination, but their faith. Their faith, yeah. Judy said their, their faith which Jesus responds to. And um, I don't think he directly names their faithfulness in this way, but we're going to look here at a moment that part of Jesus' response and part of Jesus' healing is, is a response to their faith and faithfulness. Anything else surprises you? Say something that su- surprised me this week. Just thinking about it, um, because you know I've heard the story before, and and Jesus' forgiveness when it, when he said your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man, for some reason that was really surprising me this week because that's not what he asked for, and that's not initially why he's being lowered into the place. He's being lowered because he can't walk and he needs healing. But we're going to look at the faithfulness there. Anything else that surprises you? Uh, The thing that surprises me is how Jesus goes into situations that we would think would be very iffy. Like I think for the tax collector, it would be like Jesus going to a, a bar 
or something like that and, and being with people. It is not a, uh, it's not a kosher atmosphere. The attitude they had about going about doing what they were doing, it was their attitude that Jesus looked on, the way they went about doing it. There, there's, you know, there's kind of two sets of attitudes. There's the, the attitude of the, the, the friends and the people that are being healed, and there's the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees that's like, no, we can't, we can't have that. Yeah, something that I want for us to be thinking about this morning is which parts of these stories are the biggest miracles? It's just something that I was thinking about even this morning coming uh, here to the church. Which part of these stories are, are the biggest miracles? Well, the first part of this story is the story of Jesus he healing the paralytic man. It's the first in a series, this story, the story of uh, Jesus going with Levi to his home and several of the stories that follow um, in, in the gospel here are stories of controversy. Um, to use uh, John Lewis's phrase, Jesus was about stirring up good trouble. Jesus is getting himself into situations where the righteous, the holy, the Pharisees, the scribes look at it and go, wait a minute. We can't be doing that kind of stuff. This isn't right. This isn't a safe place. This isn't a, this isn't a place that the Messiah should be. In this story, there's controversy over Jesus' authority to forgive sin. And we talked about why have the friends brought the paralyzed man? Why, why have they busted a hole in the roof? Why have they lowered the man on a mat in front of Jesus? What's the reason that the friends have done this? What, is, what kind of healing does the man need? He needs physical healing. They lower him because he can't walk. And they believe Jesus can do something about it. They believe Jesus is capable of acting in his life. Do they do it to have the man forgiven? That's not initially why they're lowering him in. That's not their intention. But Jesus seems to actually be going over and above what anyone in the room thinks is possible. Jesus is responding to the faith of the friends and the faith of the paralyzed man because they have come, they believe Jesus can do something, they believe the stories. Maybe they are actually believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but they believe Jesus can heal. And so when they lower him in, Jesus does something that no one in the room thinks is possible. And he starts by saying, your sins are forgiven. This was something that only God could do. Only God could forgive sins. And then Jesus asks the group, which is easier, to offer forgiveness or to bring physical healing to the man? One commentator points out that one is doable, that is to announce the forgiveness of sins, but it's blasphemous, right? Anyone can say the words, your sins are forgiven. 
But to believe that Jesus can actually forgive sins, the scribes and the Pharisees have pointed out, this is blasphemy. This is something only God is allowed to announce. But the other thing that Jesus does, healing, raising him, is something no one in the room thinks is, is possible. They've not experienced someone else who has the kind of power to say, get up and walk. So one thing is doable but shouldn't be done, and the other thing is not, uh, is not doable, and those are both the things that Jesus does. And so let me ask, which of these actions that Jesus takes is good news for the man? They both are. Maybe too often we split things in the church between physical and spiritual, between eternal and temporal, and we label one thing evangelism and one thing service, but they're connected. It's interesting that Jesus announces the presence of the kingdom of God in the forgiveness of sins and the healing. In both of them, Jesus is showing his, his power in both of them, Jesus is bringing good news into this man's life. We see a glimpse of the kingdom in both. Our second story is controversy number two. It's eating with sinners. Jesus has called disciples to leave their occupations before. You know, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's going about and he calls fishermen. It's not a prestigious job. It's kind of a low-life job, but it's a legitimate job, right? It's, you know, okay to be a fisherman and provide uh, food for your family. But now Jesus is going someplace that the scribes and the Pharisees are not comfortable with, and he is calling a tax collector, somebody who has aligned themselves with the Roman Empire, who has aligned themselves with... Uh, extortion of the Jewish people. And Jesus is calling Levi. And then beyond that, Jesus is going and eating with those kind of people, those tax collector sinner kind of people. That's who Jesus goes and hangs out with. In eating with such company, Jesus risks ritual contamination by eating with sinners. Scribes and the Pharisees, they'd be afraid that if they went into that atmosphere, they might succumb to some of the sin that's happening in that place. And it might impact them, it might infect them, and they wouldn't be able to go about their, their duties. They would have to perform a sacrifice and, and wait certain numbers of days, and who knows what kind of things they might get involved in if they hang out with those sinners. Rather than being polluted by the sinners, Jesus is actually extending the influence of the kingdom. He takes his other disciples with him. He takes those that are already in fellowship along with him. And he extends the influence of the kingdom. So I think you and I are called to extend the influence of the kingdom as well. 
When we work, when we go to school, when we shop, when we sit down to meals at home or the restaurant, what are ways that we can extend the presence of the kingdom in those places? Notice something else. That Jesus is invited in. Those that are labeled as sinners want to hang out with Jesus. Would those that we might label as sinners want to hang out with us? Would they invite us? When was the last time that you were invited to dinner with someone who wasn't a follower of Jesus? Or when was the last time that you were invited to dinner or to hang out with somebody that's a sinner? There's some other things about this story that I, that I want us to, to see. Is that even Jesus takes some companions along with him. And, and I believe Jesus could have gone into that situation completely by himself and not have been influenced in a negative way by what was happening by whoever was there, because he's Jesus. I tried to model Jesus, I try to look like Jesus, I try to follow his example, but I'm not Jesus. And so there are certain places that if I were to go and try to extend the presence of the kingdom, I might need to take some brothers and sisters in the faith along with me to walk into that place and to know that we are there uh, trying to hold one another accountable, trying to work with one another uh, and extend the influence of the kingdom together. There are situations where it's maybe not good to be the only follower of Jesus who goes along. So we need to recognize that we are sent with others. We're not expected to go all the time on our own. Um, when I was in college, we had some people uh, from a ministry called Triple um, X Church. XXX Church. Um, I'm sure none of you know anything about what X-rated films are, uh, but there are such things that exist in the world. Um, and so these folks ministered to people that were involved in the pornography industry whether those that were uh, addicted or whether they were people who were being uh, abused and taken advantage of uh, by the pornography industry. And they came and they shared a little bit of, of their, how they go about things and how do they minister to, to victims of the pornography industry. And they would often go to conventions to meet and build relationships with people and slowly help those uh, who were trying to get out, who were trying to break free of addictions or who were trying to uh, stop being a part of that industry, but you know, they were being provided an income and, and sometimes there was um, a pseudo worth that was given to people based on how they looked and, and the things that they did. And, but it wasn't really about valuing them as a person. So these people would go into some 
pretty shady places to minister. It was not a one-person job to go to, into some of these places. And frankly, it still makes me a little uncomfortable, and I'm not sure I'd be the right person for that. Uh, certainly, accountability would seem to be a good conversation to have before entering into uh, those kinds of atmospheres. But they went, and they were with some, some very vulnerable folks in some very broken places, extending the influence of the kingdom of God into some places that most of us would be very uncomfortable being. See, the Pharisees want to know what kind of a good follower of God would eat with such people. Jesus responds that he's come for the sick. The Pharisees think they have it all together. They don't need Jesus' help. They've followed all the laws. They've followed all the things. They've checked everything off. And so Jesus says he's here to focus on those who recognize they don't have it all together. Those who are longing for healing. Now look, I know there's all kinds of medical advancements that allow um, surgeons to operate remotely and, and maybe some of you now meet with your doctor through a virtual visit in your, your living room. But in, in traditional medicine, and certainly medicine back in the time of Jesus, in Jesus' day, healing of the sick required proximity to those who were sick. Right? You had to be with someone in order to bring about healing. So sometimes I think in the church we, we want to be with the sick and the hurting and the broken, but man, we want to do it from a distance. Maybe we'll open up the front door of the church and we'll yell out at some folks. But being with the sick, being with the hurting, being with the broken and vulnerable, that's maybe a little too uncomfortable for some of us. Maybe here in this story, Jesus is doing something of a, a triage. Those who recognize they are in need of healing and saving and rescuing, those are the folks that Jesus is eating dinner with tonight. Maybe down the line, some of the Pharisees might see their own need for saving and healing. I can't necessarily call from open front doors of the building to the sinners. We need to be in proximity. We talked a, a little bit about the quote, and, and it's attributed to different people, but basically nobody knows who originally said this. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the saints. Jesus went to be with the sick and the hurting. And we can do that through listening to the hurts and cries of those around us and, and a, assume a posture of listening. We see that modeled here in Jesus who interacts with people differently based on who they are and what they need. Now look, 
Jesus is unique in being the incarnation of God. And, and I believe Jesus knows perfectly what folks in each of these situations need. He, he knew perfectly what their deepest longings were. He knew what their root issues were. He, he knew all of that. I don't know about you, but I don't always know those things perfectly. I can't meet somebody and know instantly what all of their stuff is, what all of their baggage is, what all their, their root issues are. And so we need to listen. We need to discern the spirit. And we need to act accordingly, knowing we may not act perfectly, and maybe even we'll get it wrong sometimes. And we'll have to go back to the drawing board. But in these stories and throughout the Gospels, Jesus engages people in different ways. For the paralytic man, Jesus responds to his faith and he responds to his need to walk. For Levi, the tax collector, and for the sinners that gather at the dinner, Jesus shares fellowship and relationship and speaks worth into their life. In other stories, to the, the woman at the well, Jesus reveals himself as living water. To the blind man, Jesus gives sight to physically see and acknowledges his ability to see who Jesus really is. To the woman who's been bleeding for years, Jesus restores her health and heals her shame. Jesus knows perfectly but you and I might need to listen long and carefully and ask questions and pray and discern whether to act or how to act. To the religious elite who claim to know better, Jesus is stern, rebuking, telling them that they're actually blind. To those who recognize that they are already broken and in need of healing, Jesus is gentle and reaching out. You know, it's interesting, um, when I was in school, I learned a lot about theology, and I also had some classes on philosophy. And do you know that so many of the theological debates on um, the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, or how precisely the Trinity works, and there's typically what we would learn to do in school is classify, well, this analogy of the Trinity tends towards this heresy, and this analogy tends towards this heresy, and, and basically it was, well, none of our analogies completely work, which wasn't all that helpful. But we had lots of theological conversations about lots of minute details. And do you know, in my years of ministry, never had somebody come off the street and ask me, one of those great theological debates. Maybe in, in more intimate conversation with folks that are part of the church, some of those questions have come up. I remember sitting in a, in a philosophy class and talking about um, the question, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift? Do you know nobody's actually, in youth ministry and, and working out with people, nobody's ever come up and asked me that question. I spent a lot of time trying to parse through that. Yeah. But so many questions that 
nobody's ever actually asked. So what are the kinds of questions that you actually hear people wrestling with? What kinds of things are are those around you actually struggling with? And have you stopped long enough to listen? So oftentimes we want to, look, I want to fix things. I want to help things out. And I learned pretty early on in my marriage, sometimes you just got to listen. Sometimes I don't need to have the solution. Better be listening so that you know when you are asked to offer a solution. Right? But some, we just need to listen and be with people and be in relationship long enough to hear how they're hurting, where they're broken. Listening to people deal with their, their busyness and their uh, priorities that are all out of whack. Listening to folks who have their, their families or their marriages in conflict Listening to folks who are asking questions about aging or families still emotionally impacted by COVID. And that's just a couple houses right around me on my block. That I know folks are dealing with. Issues of mental health. People asking questions of violence overseas or violence in our schools. People asking questions of systemic issues on race and immigration and guns. Folks asking questions about gender issues and sexuality. People asking questions about how I pay for my groceries. Or how do I provide for my family this week? I recognize of all of our stated initiatives that we've talked over the last couple of weeks, this might be the hardest. It's the one that is probably going to take the longest because I don't think it stops until all our questions find their complete resolution and answer in Jesus Christ and in the fulfillment of his kingdom coming to bear It comes through time spent in deep relationship and conversation. It comes through prayer and seeking God's spirit to see how God is moving. It comes through us not offering glib answers to complicated questions or paving over people's genuine questions and genuine hurt. Church, It comes through being a people who marinate in the presence of Jesus day in and day out. It comes through a people who commit to living out the ways of the kingdom, who confess and repent and move back towards Jesus when we get it wrong. It means stewarding resources well. It means building relationship with the family of faith and with others longing and searching for healing. And it means listening to the hurts of others and listening to the promptings and the stirrings of the Spirit and seeing how those two things overlap. To hear the need. To hear what's happening in someone's life. And to see how and listen how 
the Holy Spirit is prompting us to announce the good news, to live out the kingdom. We're going to respond this morning by singing from our hymnals. Um, and it's in the brown hymnal number 437, Send the Light. Now look, this, this song I think was probably written at a time where a lot of the way the church envisioned missionary activity was we sent missionaries over there where they really needed to hear about Jesus. But you and I know that we need to hear about Jesus, our neighbors, uh, the, our coworkers, the people around us, the people that we go to school with. Man, we're all in need of Jesus' healing. So this isn't about sending missionaries over there. This is about us living and acting out the kingdom and, and, and bearing witness to the kingdom every day in the places that we go every day. So we'll send the light to all these little places that we go. Would you stand as we sing?